Hello and welcome to another episode of the What Type Ones Eat podcast. This podcast is all about how different type ones eat, what they eat, and how it helps them manage their blood sugars, but also how they manage their blood sugars with the different foods they eat. And today we have a really interesting guest who knows a lot about the pharmaceutical industry, about insulin, about diabetes management, about insulin sensitivity factors, and a lot, a lot more. Today, we welcome Minar to the podcast, who works in pharmacovigilance, have real trouble pronouncing that, um, in Denmark. Um, we can't really disclose what company he works for, uh, but it's quite a big um, drug company. So he no- has a lot of knowledge about um, the different drugs and what stages and testing they go through. and we kind of discussed that and all of the safety issues as well related to them. So before we jump into this episode, as usual, I just want to remind you that nothing on this podcast is intended as medical or nutritional advice and that you should always consult a medical professional before making any changes to your healthcare plan. Without further ado, I'm not going to hold you any longer. Let's speak to Minar. Hello, Minar. Um, how are you doing? Hey, Daya. I'm doing fine. I am really excited to have you on because you have uh, an interesting background and you live in Denmark, which is really cool. Do you want to quickly introduce yourself and just tell me about who you are, what you do, um, how long you've had diabetes, and kind of just a, back, a little background about you? Yeah, uh, that's fine. Um... As you say, I'm a miner. I'm originally from the Faroe Islands, which is located between Scotland and Iceland. But then I went to Poland to study medicine for three years. And then I transferred up to Denmark to study further one year medicine. Then I switched uh, direction to become a engineer in drug development. And currently I'm working for a major uh, drug company in uh, Denmark where I work at their headquarters uh, and I handle uh, pharmacovigilance uh, for the company. Uh, how long did the education take you in total? In total, it, uh, it was six years. Um, That's not too bad, actually. Year, no, no, no. Um, I had four years medical uh, study uh, and that uh, I I guess qualifies for my best. A really helpful background in your profession and what you do now. Definitely, uh, compared to my other colleagues or those that I study with, uh, they have a more theoretical background and I have a more uh, experience from the clinic. So when developing drugs, I also know like, I can put like a face on the patient like, yeah, this is feasible with this patient depending on all the other things. So I don't, I'm able to think without the box or outside the box and focus on more a holistic approach to the patients when thinking about like, this is a new drug for this patient, but how will this combine with all the other drugs that the patient is also taken for other simultaneously diseases? Yeah, that is really um, important, I think, because that's what a lot of drugs, like not even drugs don't consider, but like even doctors don't really consider that. Like maybe you have, oh, you also forgot to mention that you have type one diabetes. 
by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah uh, no, I got well, diabetes. I saying, <laughs> so, you can have type 1 diabetes, but you can also have, let's say, like celiac, or you can have other underlying conditions, and not always mm. that is fully considered. So people like you are like extremely valuable in the whole industry. Yeah, um, I got diabetes when I was 17, and then I got uh, hyperthyroidism. Uh, like oh, hello, I'm hyperthyroidism years. as well. Oh, so um, when I came for regular control back in the Faroe Islands, my life was studying in Poland, uh, then uh, the doctors could see, well, the number have increased, and we could also see that on your weight, and, the, and then I started uh, taking that medicine, and then that also came under control, which also improved uh, my diabetes treatment. Uh, so the Arla, of course, like a, a few things that hangs together. It's interesting because when I, I found out that I have hypothyroidism first, when I was like, I don't know, maybe seven or like I was really young. So uh, they gave me this medication and I think it improved. But then my levels were fine and they said stop the medication, but like not stop, but go mm -hmm. into really low doses. And for yeah. a few years, I was on really low doses and it was perfectly fine. And then this September, I went back to Moscow to visit family and I was just so drained all the time. Like I just could not get, get myself to move. And, you know, like I am very active and I train quite a lot and mm -hmm. it was a nightmare. I just couldn't finish a single gym session. I was so tired. So I went to check my blood. Uh, like do blood tests done and my thyroid level was really really low and then I started taking levothyroxine levothyroxine mm -hmm. yeah and uh, yeah. basically came back like in less than a week and I was feeling fine and my normal self oh that's nice yeah um, um how were you diagnosed yeah. do you remember hey <laughs> um <laughs> I was uh yeah yeah I was at a camp called the CISV, Children's International Summer Village in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, the concept is that uh, youth from 15 different nations uh, meet together so that the, the next generation can know each other and doesn't start war against one another. It's a program that started after Second World War. That sounds uh, weird, though. But it's really fun. We were there for like three weeks and then we played games and discussions. Uh, I was there at the age of 17. It's around all the world, uh, these different camps. And uh, prior to that meeting or to the camp, like three months before, then I had uh, to give physical examination because I had to say, hey, I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. And I was. Uh, but when I came back from that camp, uh, I noticed that uh, I left uh, in one set of pants and came back accidentally uh, in the same way on the same day I, I had them on and I noticed that I had to like hold off my trousers uh, to make oh. sure they didn't fall off yeah yeah uh, it, um, getting diagnosed with type 1 diabetes is the most effective weight loss I have tried in those you know three months. when you started talking about pants I was for some reason expecting you to say you peed yourself because you know like that happens <laughs> often with the type 1 as well because like you drink a lot and then you pee a lot you know yeah 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 I also did that and yeah but no no and I, I never peed myself but it was just uh, <laughs> the realization of like uh, I, I didn't have a belt with me because I never used to have it but mm. now I, I I had to hold them up the, so they didn't fall down the, when I walked around to the airport um, 
And then I went out with family, had a family meeting or gathering because we had some relatives from Canada coming by visiting us. From and where, sir? And they had like uh, Canada. Oh, uh, right. My okay. mom's cousins moved over to Vancouver. So she was, came by and the whole family gathered. She isn't that often back home in Faroe Island. Uh, mm-hmm. So I ate a, of course, there was food too. It was lovely. I didn't have any diagnosis. And then in the evening, that day, my, my mom was a bit worried, like uh, in her family, there's a lot of type 1 diabetes. So she knew the symptoms right. and got me out to the hospital. And uh, the meter down at the emergency room just read high. That's and, so uh, common. That's such a common diagnosis. Yeah. So when the diabetes doctor came up to me the morning after at the uh, ward, he said, like, uh, your blood sugar was like 55, uh, so 10 times oh, normal. Oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. Uh, but, uh, but otherwise, all numbers were fine. So we believe in you. It's going to turn out fine. Do you think, uh, like, you didn't actually end up in hospital at camp because you were quite active? And, like... Yeah, we were playing all the time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I also drank a lot. Of, like in retrospect, when I got the diagnosis, I also thought like, oh yeah, I did feel like, uh, yeah, yeah weird. I did pee a lot. I did drink a lot. I did also fi- feel like burned out sometimes, not having any energy. Uh, but I still had uh, a honeymoon uh, like two years after I was diagnosed. So it wasn't completely, um, uh, yeah, I didn't, all the insulin production hadn't gone. But yeah. And was, were you diagnosed, diagnosed in Denmark? Uh, in, in the Faroe Islands. In the Faroe Islands, sorry. Yeah. Um, did you get any um, like education about nutrition during your diagnosis? Because you were quite old, you should remember probably. Yeah, yeah I was uh, 17. Um, I was transferred directly to the grown-ups uh, because it didn't give, give mm. it a meaning to have me one year at the uh, children yeah, sure, uh, yeah. uh, outpatient clinic. So I just joined the grown-up. And uh, I was hospitalized for like three, four days. And then it was just like uh, very reservative uh, dosing uh, from the hospital because I still, they knew I still have like honeymoon uh, phase. Mm. So they, uh, but in the first like few weeks, then I had a meeting with a dietitian and she explained like, uh, just to interview me, like what you eat currently and um, how I started learning these two uh, rules, like 100 and 500 rules. Uh, and what then 500 started, rules? Uh, 100 and 500 rules. Uh, how you calculate the efficiency of your insulin. I have never uh, heard about that. Oh, uh, well, you take um, your total daily dose and okay. divide it by 500. And then you have a calcul- Then you have. Uh, then you know like how many grams of uh, sugar you can eat per dose of insulin. So uh, per unit of insulin. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, unit of insulin. So if I take uh, have a tail- total daily dose of fifty and then so five hundred divided by fifty, then I get grams of sugar per unit of uh, insulin. Okay, wait. Let's do uh, that for me. So I take. Uh, I think I take like 24 units of insulin, total mm-hmm. daily dose. So I divide it by how much? Uh, 500. And then I multiply by 100? No, no, just uh, 500 divided by your total, total daily dose. Then you oh, should wait, get a number like... 500 divided by my total daily yeah. dose. Okay. Mm-hmm. So by 23, 
let's say, yeah, I take, my ratio is actually one to one, but so like one to 10 carbs, but it says one to 22. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess it's like, it's not mega accurate, is it? Uh, depends on how you eat, but for me, it's somewhat accurate. Um, and do you use empirical units or grams? I use grams. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, then it should be working fine. Um, and I guess like because I have really high activity levels, that's why it's not <laughs> precisely yeah. accurate. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and when you have uh, the 100 uh, rules, that's the same, 100 divided by your total daily dose, uh, then you get uh, how many millimoles uh, the blood sugar will decrease uh, in Oh, so your correction time. dose. Yeah, yeah, correction dose. Correction yeah. ratio, I guess. That's cool. yeah. We just have a bit different terms for things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've never actually heard about those um, like equations that you can use. Um, that's how I was introduced to uh, diabetes uh, at the dietitian and the nurse. Like, uh, once you have these two numbers, you can always calculate how uh, efficient it is. Of course, there will be some uh, deviation Defenses, depending but... on yeah, the, uh, depending on like how your metabolism is and how your efficiency is, and it will also vary a little bit uh, depending on the time of the day. Uh, and the month uh, for, for a woman. Uh, so yeah. in the morning for me, it, it, the number isn't 100% accurate because then I have the dawn effect. Uh, but that I try to... Uh, uh, you said you cycle after your breakfast. Exactly, like we spoke exactly. with you before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in the morning I, I get up and then I eat. Uh, yeah, tell I'm... me about your oats. Oh, this is a really, <laughs> really interesting story. So how do you make uh, your oats, Maynard? Maynard well, I, I, I take my coffee cup, pour it off with oatmeal. This uh, pains and, me so much. Yeah, yeah. And then I add milk into it, cold milk. And then I start eating. Oh, and... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know understand when... <laughs> how do you do this. Oh, do you not even uh, like warm it up or anything? It's just oh. No, 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 nothing. Do you leave it to like, soak at least. Yeah. For how like long? For five seconds. Oh my god. Okay, so this is a wonderful story about how Maynard makes his oats. Yeah, that's um, that's. Um, I know it's just how uh, I was raised up in the Faroe Island that the food is more seen as a energy source that you just need in order to get yeah, out. Yeah, but you know that like half of the um, bioavailability of oats disappear, like it's just not there because you haven't cooked them. So like it doesn't get absorbed. Yeah. So why do you do that? You're wasting your oats. <laughs> just never consider the other other option it, it was it would have been like a little bit too time consuming uh, for me in the morning <laughs> so i pre i prioritize sleeping like uh, 50 minutes longer than preparing it uh, properly we i'm not going to argue waste. with you we all have our own ways to eat and to do things mm -hmm. so yeah. feel free but it just pains my ears <laughs> <laughs> but yeah your your uh, oatmeal bowl they, they they look a lot better they really do <laughs> Definitely yeah, better than cold oats with no cooking and nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it definitely also tastes better. 
Um, they do, yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, anyway, so um, I was wondering, you know these uh, like equations that you said, do you still use them to this day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try oh. to calculate them like every once in a month, uh, once uh, every two weeks, if it's changing a lot. Uh, currently, my total daily dose is around 31, uh, but it fl fluctuates, of course, like between like 26 and 40. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, there was a period, uh, because if I had used the calculation from when I was uh, used 50 units, then I, it would all have been like way too, I would take a lot, way too much insulin, and I would have to correct it all the time. Yeah. Uh, sure. So you have, so that's, um, the formula is based on like the last uh, two weeks of uh, uh, total daily dose. So the average of your last two weeks and then use that uh, average total daily dose for the formula. So you have to like uh, recalculate it uh, from time to time. Uh, yeah, as... it kind of makes sense because your total daily dose will be changing pretty much mm -hmm. all the time. So you kind of need to readdress it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, also you, if you get like sick, then you have to adjust it. And then you can also yeah. say, well, now I'm going to use a number that's 20% less effective because that's how it is. Yeah, but wait, if you're me. sick, it's just an outlier. So I wouldn't even base anything on that. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me a little bit about what your diet actually looks like? Like, how do you eat? What do you eat? Except for your terrible oats. <laughs> Well, I start out terribly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I start, start out with the oatmeal in the morning, and then I typically don't eat anything until uh, uh, midday when I go down to, to the cafeteria and eat whatever the kitchen is serving. Um, we also need a, a, a variable diet when we eat, mm -hmm. just like a normal people. Of so there can be a lot of different things, uh, salads, warm meals and yeah the company uh, treats us the personnel very well and then when i get home i typically eat uh, home-baked rape bread what a ray bread oh rye bread yeah rye bread yeah okay but do you like have it with toppings or something uh not always, but, but sometimes I have toppings with seed and also you sometimes have uh, seeds inside of the bread. You uh, seem to really like plain things. Yeah. Like absolutely plain. Because <laughs> yeah, eating uh, just bread to me seems a little bit... Um, like well, bread I, with like sausage on top of it, with like cheese on it. So with, the variation there is again like what I put on. Oh, top okay, of the yeah, bread. yeah, that's so. That's what I'm asking. So, like, if you're actually having the bread with something, <laughs> or just eating plain bread, and I was like, plain bread. <laughs> oh no, 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 not that. No, 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 no. <laughs> like after your but oats, you have... I wouldn't be that much surprised, but you know. <laughs> well, newly baked bread just with butter that also tastes really good. Uh, but once it's called, it, I prefer it with something on top of it. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, quickly, my last question about food before we move on to pharmacovigilance, and you'll tell us what it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what Danish meals are specifically like Danish and the ones that you like, but you find a bit hard to bolus for? 
Did I ask that question uh, really weirdly? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just that I'm not that well introduced to all the Danish uh, variants. Um, but if we would go to the Faroe Island. Okay, let's uh, go there, wherever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but because I'm from the Faroe Island, though I do live in Denmark, uh, Danish uh, food, I haven't tried that often. Um, but in the Faroe Island, I would say it's a blood sausage. Okay, uh, and is that really hard because it's quite fatty? No, because it's actually really much sugar in the Faroese recipe. Uh, mm. You can also buy it here in Denmark, uh, but the issue in the Faroe Island is uh, we use a sheep blood, and then we have like one por portion of sheep blood, one portion of uh, fat uh, from the sheep, then one portion uh, brown sugar, and one portion raisins. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you suddenly see that it's a lot of sugar in this. It's a lot of uh, sugar and a lot of like enough fat as well. Exactly. Uh, so, so that thing is really hard for me to calculate for for because also no, the recipe. No, it sounds a little bit like um, God. I forgot what it's called. Uh, the Scot, not the Scottish thing. Um, oh, okay. Never mind. I totally forgot what it's called. Um, but it's like a traditional, I'm pretty sure it's a Scottish, um, food. It sounds very much like it's made from blood as well, but I can't remember the name. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. And you also have like ray uh, flour in that. Oh, wow. So like a whole bunch of carbs in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, yeah, especially the carb, the, the, the level of carb is so high and there is also a great portion of fat in it. Yeah, and it's because uh, it's called because it it's called sausage. You're sort of not really expecting to have that many carbs in there. No, um, but we also do, do boil it uh, in the stomachs uh, from the sheep, and then we like cut it up into nice portions. Oh. Uh, if you do it like you know traditional, I really don't eat meat, and I just like every the sound of it just doesn't appeal to me to be honest the whole recipe <laughs> but everybody's his um, oh yeah yeah um, but yeah a lot of like the diet in the Faroe Island uh, because we are so far up north the only thing that kind of grows in Faroe Island are potatoes uh, so almost mm -hmm. all warm dishes in the Faroe Island are based on you have either uh, fish or lamb yeah. sometimes birds and potatoes and salt and pepper I feel like that's uh, a lot of um, northern countries. They have that kind mm -hmm. of, like Finland, I think, parts of Russia as well would do a lot of like potato-based stuff. Yeah. Um, you can grow uh, uh, wheat uh, into Faroe Islands, but it's very hard to get any flour out of it. Uh, so therefore, most of it into Faroe Island is, uh, uh, yeah, uh, potatoes and... Uh, yeah, what meat you could otherwise get. Yeah. Uh, so we are not the most, um, we have somewhat more plain recipes in the Faroe Island. So it's first uh, now that I am here in Denmark that I'm getting introduced to like a lot more spices and the different variation uh, of food. But you can also, today you can have, uh, live as a vegetarian in the Faroe Island and get everything else that you would also get like in England uh, or in Denmark. Yeah, I guess products are becoming a lot more um, available all over um, all over the world, actually. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so let's move to the interesting part. Um, can you tell me what is pharmacovigilance and what do you do? Uh, pharmacovigilance. Covigilance. Is, uh, I knew I pronounced yeah. it wrong. <laughs> That's fine. Um, it's a subsection, subsection on that is uh, that all uh, drug company in EU have to have. Uh, which uh, pharmacovigilance is the part of the drug company that handles all uh, side effects reports and potential side effects reports. Uh, for example, uh, if I have uh, diabetes and I have uh, taken a dose of insulin and I get a low blood sugar, then that uh, could like be because I just made a uh, user error or it was because like there was a wrong formulation in the insulin. Uh, or I mixed uh, like my long acting insulin with my short acting insulin, uh, then I could like report it into the, uh, to the drug company uh, who owns the, uh, the brand or the, the insulin that I'm using. And then they would like look at it like, is it our error or was there other circumstances? Yeah. Uh, and that's, so they're kind of investigating what has yeah. happened. Uh, because uh, while developing the drug, you have to have a good overview of all everything that happens during the drug development uh, and then you also have to like periodically report back into because like some side effects you don't see like when you have like only 10,000 patients on the drug mm. sometimes you have to go up to like 100,000 patients and use it for a few years before you see uh, the side effects of it so uh, you so know why... these tests on patients do you they don't do them before they officially release the drugs or how does it work? Uh, they are always done before. Uh, first you test it on cells and mm -hmm. when you see some proof of concept, you start testing it on animals. Uh, and then you start in the, the clinical trials. Okay. And at that in phase one, which is just like, we don't kill the patients. That's the yeah. first priority in phase one. And then in phase two, uh, the purpose is to figure out like what's about the therapeutic uh, range, like how much insulin does the patients need or how much of this drug does the patients need. And then in the phase three, you try uh, on different uh, population segment and different nationalities, like does this work, this medication uh, work just as well in England as it does in South Africa or in mm. Japan. Uh, and then you, uh, apply for the approval from the EU or FDA. And once you get it, then you release it to the rest of the world. Okay, and how long does that whole process take? Uh, typically around 10 years from the yeah. first time you test it on a cell until you have the approval to get it out on the market. It's uh, like everyone kind of is clued up on this now because of the COVID vaccines and them mm -hmm. trying to really speed up the whole testing process as well. Yeah, that's an exception as to everything that you can do it within a year. Uh, but even uh, although uh, you have uh, uh, one that has been approved in England, uh, but then you also have like uh, Russia and China who are alleged to have approved uh, uh, vaccines that are given to the people. But uh, the Western scientific media doesn't really have like insights to that so they can't really see like is this a safe option uh, yeah but to be honest no one actually knows if these vaccines are safe in the long term do they 
Exactly. That's why you still, although you have like the pharmacovigilance part for during the clinical trials, you also have to monitor uh, the drug while it is a market until the life end of the drug. Yeah. Uh, so you always have to have it and you always have to report it in and depending on like what uh, side effects are expected or you see from time to time, uh, then it's reporting of like how often you have to report into the authority. It's like every three months or can we do just reporting it once a year because uh, the profile has been so uh, stable that we know it is this which can come and we barely ever see anything else. Yeah, definitely. So I know you do work quite closely with insulin and mm -hmm. I am very curious about what can we expect from the kind of diabetes technology, diabetes care market, diabetes, insulin, and just like new kind of innovations in the care that we receive. What do you foresee coming? Um, a I foresee the a progression of uh, what is currently happening, uh, but we have to uh, remember that although we here in the Western world are talking about like uh, insulin pump uh, and looping with the, their CGMs, then there's also another part of the world, which is Africa, where they like still don't have insulin. And depending on like where you live, then uh, the priority of what you want is uh, different. For example, in the United States, there you just want like affordable insulin. Uh, and then there's some uh, drug companies, new drug companies typically that are doing uh, biosimilars drug of what already uh, known insulins just to have do it like at a cheaper price uh, for the world. But so, I know like there's this Walmart insulin, I think that is yeah, really yeah. not safe, like really not safe. Yeah. And people yeah. are basically still using it because they can't afford actual insulin. Mm hmm. And it is a big um, problem and there's like no one solution to it. Yeah, exactly. So there are like different segments of the diabetes uh, patient group that uh, we are in different situations. So we have to take what we all need the drug but or the drugs. Uh, but it's like, what yeah. can we afford? Um, so one thing many uh, of the at least major uh, or some of the drug companies do, they uh, you get a pattern on your drug and then they expire after 10 years typically. And mm -hmm. then there are many drugs who in that 10 years time figure out how to purify them even more. And then they like find a, or purify it even more. So there happens fewer uh, side effects due to like uh, impurity that is, uh, might be with the, the original drugs. And then they get a new pattern. So uh, some of the drug development that there is are either that they purify it more and more to extend the pattern yeah, and to, um, of course, improve it, but not which like major changes, like you have fast acting and then the next uh, drug. You have you, even uh, faster acting in the next iteration. Uh, yeah, not even, just like a newer version of the kind of same fast acting uh, that has just fewer side effects because you made it even more cleaner. And okay, then so you can let's like, say basically if an insulin comes out with a different name, is it a completely different insulin or can it be a version of the same insulin but just with a development? Uh, both. It can be both. Okay. Uh, so there are some drugs where you have the same ingredients but in different like product names. Sometimes the product names depends on which market it's approved for. Mm -hmm. So a drug might be called one thing in Europe and another thing in uh, United States. 
yeah sometimes it's based on the marketing decisions uh, and sometimes just like this would totally sound wrong in sweden and then they choose another name for the, that yeah. specific market um but it, it's not only like what is the active ingredient in the drug there's also like uh, the formulation that helps stabilizing the drug so that it can live longer. Uh, for example, there is a glucagon, like the emergency kit that we need and the emergency drug that we need if we get like a, mm -hmm. a really low blood sugar. Um, if you wanted to do like an artificial pancreas uh, concept, then you would both need the insulin and the glucagon. Uh, mm. But currently, so far, nobody has able to be have been able to stabilize the glucagon uh, for a long period of time. The current drug you get it in powder form then you spray it into the uh, water into it and then you inject that because yeah have you heard about gvoke maybe gvoke hypopen because apparently it's an injectable pen with glucagon that is already dissolved yeah yeah i read some uh, scientific article about that concept and but that's guess... an example of like uh, that's yeah. an example of the similar drug but just like a totally new character that from having just like minutes or hours half-life time to having days half-life time, making it uh, attractive to maybe start some research in a, uh, a biological pancreas that both can give insulin and glucagon. Yeah, but I guess like that is the issue. It's the issue of putting together something that will be able to use both glucagon and insulin and then the data from the blood sugar as well to kind of keep it all together. Yeah, and currently the closest we have thing to that, that's the looping. And uh, that was the Night Scout, if I recall correctly, that uh, initiated all that research. I think um, so, I'm not sure. <laughs> Research is maybe a bit too much to say, but if it's hacking is more like the appropriate term, would some say. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's um, yeah, you, you have to be proper when it comes to research and uh, how to get the documentation, uh, such as uh, with the COVID uh, vaccine, like Pfizer has a lot of like, documentation done the right way. And then there's the Russian vaccine, uh, Sputnik 5, if I have the name correct. I think it's just called Sputnik. Oh, Sputnik, yeah. Um, there you don't have any uh, documentation, so you, yeah. which is needed to like uh, give the necessary approval. Uh, but so that's, that's also why you that also... is Russia summed up for you. Like, we have rules, but they're basically, no one actually follows those rules. So, mm. you know. Um, my other question is about smart insulin. Um, I've heard that there is this perspective that an insulin will be developed that you sort of inject once a day or like twice a day, and it sort of works as your pancreas. Do you think that's possible? Um, yes, it's possible. Um, but it's just like figuring out how do you do it. You could also do it with a lot of other drugs. Um, where you have um, an active component of the drug, uh, but the active component of the drug is hidden from the body. And the okay. drug is, uh, so you can like encapsulate the active part of the drug, but then only when uh, it's relevant, the drug becomes active, uh, such in a way that the, if blood sugar goes above like 10, 
then the protective shell that is around the active component uh, dissolve so that it becomes active and visible and can interact with the receptor of the cell. Uh, that's um, that's really that's interesting. That's also a concept then, that they do work. But then it would be like all of the insulin going in at the same time, right? So not gradually. Uh, it depends again on of how you formulate the, the whole drug, um, because you have like uh, you already have that in some drug uh, for uh, in some long-acting insulin. You have like the what you have in the long-acting insulin is the same active drug as in short acting insulin. But depending on how you uh, use the formula and how you fold uh, the insulin into one another and connect it to one another, and how you like build uh, the same one drug into many complex structure, then the dissolvement of the complex structure may, can either de determine like, does it work all at once or is it working over time? Uh, for but example, if- Wait. Insulin is an amino acid chain, is that right? Yeah, but you can connect all of those amino acid chains to one another. Yeah. And then uh, periodically you can have like one chain break off, one chain break off. So if you have like a chain of a hundred connected to one another into a, like a complex structure, then you can have it like active for like a hundred seconds or a hundred minutes. Or you can have like a hundred single chains like separately, then you will have the full effect of all that amount right in the first minute. Okay, so... So, so that's also one way of you can like... Uh, so that's how basically insulin is sped up. So like the newer, faster actings coming out, they're just smaller amino, am, amino acid chains. Smaller complex of amino acids thing. That's one that's way of making the same insulin uh, more uh, fast acting. And you know the inhalable insulin, the a freezer, I think. Uh, yeah, I've uh, yeah I heard about it. I'm not that familiar with it, uh, but yeah, it's I don't know where in development that is, or if it's yeah, no, I don't know. It's available only in America, but I guess mm. that people say that acts like instantly. So just as soon as you take it, it does act, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could also like smear insulin on your body as a cream and it, it will almost not have an effect, but very slowly. It depends on also like how fast does it work? Yeah, I feel um, like I any was... drugs that are in form of cream, I just don't really believe they get absorbed proper properly. Uh, no, they don't. But that's also why they have a longer profile uh, because it's they have to be absorbed through the skin, and which is quite hard. Okay. Uh, for example, I did uh, participate in a research uh, here recently as a patient uh, where they wanted to uh, look at like how uh, does like uh, low blood sugar affect the electrical system of the heart. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, it was just a minor issue halfway through that I asked them like. Oh, so how much insulin are you using to like drop my sugar correctly and control it? And then they said like in the two hours experiment, I would get like 30 units of insulin. Wow. Which is the same as a total daily dose. And I got yeah. it as an IV and they used the glucose injection as to stabilize my sugar and to control like, do you want to go down? Do you want to go up? Um, 
So of course, uh, when I finished, I had like a lot of insulin on board, but I had no idea how much because I didn't know uh-huh. the drug or how, uh, what the bioavailability uh, of the drug was when you gave it as IV and how effective it was. Did um, they keep you sort of under kind of control and like look at you if you're still alive in a couple hours? No, they gave me a meal and then sent me out. But I could already feel when I was walking down from like third floor down to my bicycle that like my blood sugar feels low. So I already there ate like uh, a package of uh, Dexcon. Uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, Dextrose. Glucose, uh, Dextrose. Yeah, yeah. So like 50 grams of sugar there, came home, like time is still like low, uh, ate more and then just like laid it down in the... Uh, bad with like headaches for the rest of the day it was oh. really annoying uh, <laughs> well at least really, you did some good for the science yes 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 uh the day after i was fine but it was and for the most of the rest of the day like i was high um but, yeah. but it was just like this annoyance of like i don't know the bioavailability of the drug that i'm going i don't know like how much insulin on board i have which is typically something i'm uh, Why very didn't he aware tell of. you what insulin they're using? Because he didn't know the doctor. That's nice. That's really <laughs> nice. Like you're doing an experiment, and you have no idea what drug you're using. Yeah, his, his response was I, when I was like, "Oh, so how much insulin board do I have when I leave?" And he was like, uh, "I don't know these drugs, but we just using the like the standard in-house uh, protocol." I was just like, "Oh, I was hoping for a better answer." Nice. Because I knew um, if we, yeah, if it would be my normal long, uh, short-acting insulin that I have uh, in my pump, but it was not that. So I was like, well, I'm kind of lost. So if you don't know, I just we just have to hope. Yeah. Um, my last question uh, is kind of about um, the supportive medication that we might get as type ones. So maybe not insulin, but something else. I don't know, some kind of. Um, drugs that will help our digestion work more smoothly or reduce you know like the fat spikes that can happen um is that anywhere possible or like in the near coming in the near future um you'd think that they have one diabetes patients should have other drugs than only insulin to Help what just that. asking if there might be any that we could use because like we do have kind of the spikes from fat or when insulin doesn't get absorbed so smoothly is there anything maybe coming to help that and there is a lot for that already but the thing is that it's uh, it's not labeled as for type 1 diabetes it's for type uh, 2 is diabetes also- isn't it some drugs that are relevant for the issue that you are asking for are already approved for um, type 2 diabetes, obesity, uh, and other diseases. Um, so it, it's just like, what is the labeling of the drug, which is also uh, a thing that the drug companies do. They get the approval for one uh, patient segment, and then they expand the approval to other segments. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, if you use fast-acting insulin or like most insulin that diabetes patients use, none of them are approved for pregnant ladies. Oh. Because you always throw them out to get this, such a clean, precise uh, 
their result saying like this is only because uh, of the our drug that we have this effect and it's also because of the risk that uh, uh, whatever drug we have it might cause damage to the infant uh, while still while the woman is still pregnant uh, so you also like have to protect the child so if you use like your normal short and long acting insulin Mm. Uh, there's a, quite a good likelihood that they are not approved for while you are pregnant. But you still but have you to would... use them, though. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and then it's the responsibility of the doctor to report it in to the drug company. And then it's my department of pharmacovigilance who, who will uh, collect that uh, information because uh, then it's actually an uh, off-label use, which is also a serious adverse event. Okay. Where it's, it's, it's an adverse event that we have to track. And um, if enough doctor would have done that, then the most drug company would already be able to say like, and have sufficient uh, documentation to say like, well, this drug either works or don't work with pregnant women. Uh, that is really interesting, but it kind of feels really safe because everything's tracked and monitored. And mm -hmm. it's just nice to feel that way, that we're in good hands. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, most insulin that uh, a woman would use would be also safe while her, her she is pregnant, but uh, and carrying. But there's just no documentation for that, and that's the difference. Uh, it's uh, documentation. Therefore, also the drug that you are asking for, uh, the drug companies never consider to uh, have like if you make it develop a drug for an issue that type two diabetes have then they never considered to also include it for uh, type 1 diabetes because mm. that's not the main market. That's not where you can earn the most money. Is You typically have like one drug for one issue. Like you try to go for the silver bullets. I mean, but that's also just... mixing different medication. Like insulin doesn't really interact too well with other medication, does it? So it might not be great for the patient either. No, no. Uh, if you take like some kind of steroids, it's also real enough good. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there are also like a drug interaction that you have to be aware of uh, between all kinds of drugs. Absolutely. Well, Maynard, I absolutely love talking to you. And I really learned quite a lot about pharmacovigilance. Yeah. <laughs> yes, got it right. Um, and I just want to thank you very much for coming on and taking this time to chat about your diabetes and the future of insulin. Yeah, you're welcome. It was, it was good. Thank you so much. Bye. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me on this episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you are enjoying the podcast, please uh, review, rate and subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app. It really helps the podcast get more reach and help more people. I really appreciate every single one of you and I will speak to you next week.